Now turn with me in your Bible this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 13 of the chapter uh, right through to the end. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're at verse 13. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, for in few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure were unto, even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through to 15. And my subject today is persevering in the midst of persecution. Persevering in the midst of persecution. Now Peter, remember, has been dealing with the subject of submission from chapter 2, 13, right through to chapter 3, verse 12. And in that section, he dealt with three spheres or three areas in which this concept of submission was to be displayed or shown. He spoke about the business world, uh, 
slaves at that time being subject to their masters would tie into employers and employees today. He then talked about the home life, the Christian couple, the godly wife, the godly husband. And then he brought us to the sphere of the church. Uh, and uh, we, we dealt with the marks of Christian behavior in the church, the marring of Christian fellowship through the misuse of the tongue and the manual for Christian fellowship remembering that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and their ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And the word evil, as Peter would have put it down under the inspiration of the Spirit, must have triggered something in his mind because now he's moving on and now he's shifting the emphasis from the whole subject of submission to the very spirit of submission in the midst of suffering and persecution. In other words, having told us what to do, he is now seeking to show us the way to do it. Because there is no doubt that the people of God in Peter's day were having a difficult time. Um, he mentions the words here in verse 14 be not afraid of their terror neither be troubled he mentions in verse 16 um, whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers and so on and so forth you see these christians they were despised in Peter's day. They were being scandalized. They were labeled a, a dangerous sect that needs to be monitored and resisted. They were not only riled against and slandered with the tongue. They endured physical abuse. They, they were literally being targeted, threatened, and even tortured. And we have a right to ask, well, why? Why are these people suffering verbal abuse? And why are they being physically abused? Surely that's not right. And what's the reason for it? Are they doing something wrong? Uh, and here's Peter's answer. No, they're not doing something wrong. They're suffering for following Jesus Christ as Lord and Redeemer. And it's important that you grasp this. They were being verbally and physically abused all because they were Christians, all because they belonged to Christ, all because they were followers of that which is good. You see, the world of the first century is no different to the world of the 21st century. Folks, we live in an anti-God age. We live in the midst of an anti-Christian spirit. And this world is no friend to the true Bible believer in Jesus Christ. We shouldn't expect the world to help us or, or the world to honour us. We shouldn't be mystified when the world wants to harm us and hound us. Let's understand biblical history. Let's understand church history. Read just, for example, the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you will discover that in biblical times, 
as well as throughout church history, that true followers of Jesus Christ, those that are genuinely saved and born again of the Spirit, who faithfully love Jesus Christ and live loyal to him, they can expect the hostility of slander and even the abuse of biblical persecution. Remember what Jesus said in John 16 verse 31. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see, I have no doubt that the people were asking themselves this verbal and physical abuse. How could you endure all that? How could you cope with such conflict in your life? And what's Peter's answer? He has shown them what they're to do. Now he's showing them the way to do it. And the way to do it is to to get their eyes on Christ. He shows them Christ. You see, in this last portion of chapter 3, he's presenting in its heart a, a glorious revelation of Christ. Christ's person, who he is, he's the God-man. Christ's position, he has died and gone into heaven now for us. His, his purpose for us in the world. Uh, remember he says, For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. He's talking about his power. He's talking about his position. And our position in him, our abiding in him, our union with him. See, let's remember something fundamental today. That true Christianity is rooted in doctrine and results in practice. Right believing results in right living. Right living is rooted in right believing. There's no absolute division between doctrine and practice in the Bible. It can't be artificially contrived. True Christianity is based in doctrine, but it has to be practical. And Peter's very practical, very down to earth. He sees God's people. They are suffering verbal and physical abuse. And how can they cope? What's the message for them? Is there any help and comfort? And the answer is yes. And that's what we want to think about this morning persevering in the midst of persecution. How? Three things. Count it a happy privilege to suffer for Christ. Look at verse 14. It says, But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Now let's remember the context. We started with verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Here he's dealing with the possibility of suffering. Who is he that will harm you, verbally and physically? You see, in most cases, you don't suffer really for being a Christian per se. Now you may, but Christians don't generally suffer for just doing right and living right before God. But Peter's a realist, and he says, but... And if you do suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Literally, it's a privilege. It's a blessed thing. It's a happy thing. Now, now, what he's saying is that 
suffering for Christ, doing what is right and good for righteousness sake is a cause for happiness. Remember what the Lord Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount. And there's a similar truth here. If you look back to Matthew chapter 5, and it's so long ago since we preached on it, I can hardly remember what I said on that occasion, but I'm sure I emphasized the point in Matthew chapter 5. And listen to what Jesus said again. He said, Blessed, and the word blessed means happy, are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, verse 12, Matthew 5, and be exceeding glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. He goes back to biblical history. He's reminding us of what happened to the people of God in ancient times. Think of Paul and Silas at midnight. Remember in the jail. They were beating. And they were wounded. And bruised. And bleeding. And what do we read in Acts 17? They prayed. And sang praises to God. You see, they, they, they reckoned. They were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. They, they didn't mourn. They didn't grumble and complain. They didn't have a pity party. For them it was a privilege. He's talking here about suffering for righteousness sake. Suffering for doing the right thing. Suffering for living right. There's no shame. There's no dishonor. There's no humiliation for doing the right thing with an eye to the glory of God. These people experienced hatred and hardship. They had vile things said about them. They had pain and injury inflicted upon their body. They were in agony. Here's Christians suffering for well-doing, not for evil-doing. I believe the reference to evil doing here is a concept of making trouble for themselves uh, by their own choice. But these people were not giving as good as they get. Paul or Peter knows that God's people are human in the midst of trial and trouble, especially of verbal and physical abuse has been heaped upon them, that they can show frustration. They can use language that's not right. They could seek revenge. They could respond in kind. They could lash out. But Peter knows if they do, their, their testimony for Christ would be in tatters. And um, here's his advice to them. But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Let me apply that. You see, there's no doubt today in the 21st century that Christians are facing an insidious form of persecution. Now, in the Western world, we're not denied liberty to worship like in Middle Eastern countries. We're certainly not being burned at the stake like they were in the 15th and 16th century. 
We're not being driven from our homes or community. We're, we're certainly not being murdered in our beds and our churches are not being destroyed. But there still is an insidious form of persecution. How many Christians have been overlooked for promotion in a certain job? How many Christians on a daily basis are belittled, or despised, ostracized, ignored, ridiculed? We live in a day when there's open uh, warfare and attack on the gospel, uh, an open and declared warfare on Christ and his personal work. You just think of the blasphemous play, Jesus Christ Superstar, that's been at the Opera House in Belfast recently, and the Lisburn Civic Centre. Uh, think of the, the attack on Christians, whether it's Mr. and Mrs. Bull in Cornwall uh, with their bed and breakfast, or whether it's the treatment of um, uh, Daniel MacArthur and his wife uh, in relation to the Asher Bakery case. Uh, uh, um, there is persecution. Okay, it's, it's, it's not open and naked the way it was, uh, but it's still an insidious form of persecution, and it's all designed to hurt and harm God's people. Now here's a question. How can we be happy? How can we count it a privilege when you're suffering verbal and physical abuse or this insidious form of persecution? Just remember this, that God is for us. Yes, the world's against us, but God is for us. There's a story told of a man facing surgery and the nurse uh, said to him, I suppose you're preparing for the worst. And he said, no, I'm preparing for the best. I'm preparing for heaven. And uh, he, he reminded the nurse of what Paul was able to say in Romans chapter 8. He told her that he'd got a promise from God and the promise was this. Um, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, Peter's preparing them for their trials, big fiery trials that have come and are coming. And he's telling them to be happy for doing what is right. He's, he's, he's telling them that they can go forward in true joy with Jesus. Isn't it natural in the midst of fiery trials or even when our troubles personal come, we feel frustrated, we feel forgotten, we feel forsaken. He's saying to them, get your eyes in Christ because a sight of Christ will change it all. And we can live in the victory of a sight of the Redeemer. And therefore, through a sight of the Redeemer, we can be happy in suffering. See, nothing can change your relationship with Christ. You can lose your wealth, you could lose your health, you, you can lose your loved ones, sad as that is. You could even lose your home. Oh yes, you could lose your life. You could be murdered as a Christian. But you'll never lose Christ. And I believe uh, that the Lord gives special grace when we suffer. Because it's the Lord who allows the time of adversity and suffering to come. Remember the children of Israel would never have left Egypt had they lived in plenty and prosperity. But God allowed, permitted, ordained, uh, ordered, controlled, decreed a period of intense adversity to come. And God had his eye on them in the adversity. And God heard their cry in the adversity. And God came in pity to where they are and told them through Moses, I'm come to deliver you. Because God won't forsake, he won't forget. He, he won't feel his people. Why? Because we're in Christ. 
It's impossible for God to fail and forsake and forget his people in Christ. He'll not cause a needless tear. He'll not cause us to suffer more than we're able to bear. And here's this people. And they love Christ. Do you love Christ this morning? Are you saved? Are, are you a follower of him? Are, are you living for Christ? For me, Paul says, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Are you being loyal to Christ? Are you standing for Christ? Speaking for Christ? Do, do you love to be different because you belong to the Savior? And you're filled with this thought, God is on my side. Or better, I'm in the sight of the Lord. Are you a follower of him? And there's the first thought. Count it a happy privilege to suffer for Christ. Notice the second thing. Count it a holy privilege to suffer for Christ. If you look at verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. You see, isn't there a temptation to draw back from following Christ? Temptation for us when the there's forms of insidious persecution against the church. A temptation to draw back from following Christ when we suffer for doing the right thing. We can grow weary. We can grow discouraged. We can say, well, I'm not really happy in the heart about all this. It's too costly. This is hard. This is difficult. I'm tired of it all. I can't cope anymore. And there's a temptation to fall back. And a temptation to forsake Christ. Isn't that what he says? Look at verse 14 again. Be not afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled. The truth is we are troubled. And he has to exhort them. Neither be troubled. We are terrified. He says be not afraid of their terror. And how can we counteract that? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Note these buts. Because they change the scene. Guard against the terror of men, he's saying, neither be troubled. We can be terrified of our situation and circumstance. We can be in fear of the crisis. We can be afraid of what is going to happen. Maybe afraid of what we're going to lose. Afraid of personal injury. Afraid of men hating them and hounding them. And he's urging them here. Be not afraid of men. Don't make shipwreck. Don't deny the Lord. Don't be snared by the fear of man because the fear of man brings a snare. How could you overcome that bully at work or school? How can you overcome the scorner who derides you? How can you overcome the uh, misery that's heaped upon you by your unsaved loved ones who want to hinder your work and walk uh, uh, and work for God? Here's the answer. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, now, let me just point out something this morning. Um, he's making a quotation. And he's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 8. Look with me at chapter 8 and just look with me at verses 12 and 13. Isaiah chapter 8. And look with me at verse 12 and verse 13. Isaiah chapter 8. We've made reference to these verses in the, in, in the past. It says in Isaiah 8 and verse 12, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, 
and let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he shall be for a sanctuary but for a stone of stumbling for a rock of offence to both the house of Israel for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem you see Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 8 and he's thinking of these words this call sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and of course this was in a day when God's people had apostatized and there was things going on in the house of Judah and in the house of Israel and there was this desire to form a confederacy with the enemy and there was fear you see that was the driving thing fear of man I better form an alliance with these people I better get into bed with this company because this is going to happen if I don't and the Lord saying to them don't say a federacy don't, don't be fearful this is what I want you to do but sanctify the Lord of hosts you see Peter knows that close communion with the Lord will drive away the fear of man he knew that having a fear and a reverence for the Lord letting the Lord have control of your life would be a great bulwark against this terror and against this trouble and traumatization from men you see there's a principle or a preeminence here um, think of the words the Lord God in your hearts think of him as the Holy One live so as to declare he is holy esteem him holy let him be your dread let him be your fear recognize who he is recognize what he's like he's the Lord God He's the living and the true God. Fill your mind with his person. Fill your mind with his preeminence. Put the Lord first in your life. Isn't that the call of Peter here? Isn't that the call in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Notice the place in your hearts. Cultivate the same attitude toward Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. How can we sanctify or separate or, or, or set apart the Lord God in our hearts? Through faith in Christ. Having a personal relationship with Christ. The heart here is not just the physical organ that pumps blood around the body. It's the seat of our emotions, seat of our thoughts, uh, our, 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 our control center, our our. Um, cabinet room where they, they, they make policy decisions where, where our will and our conscience and all is played out that's the place to set the Lord apart and notice the principle sanctify set him apart, treat him as holy unquestionable unrestrained, he is Lord he is my Lord it's not a big problem today in the church Many profess Christ as Saviour, but they don't own him or live for him as Lord. They don't do as he says. Many think, well, if I have Jesus as my Saviour, I'll miss hell and I'll get to heaven. I want to tell you, I'll not. Because the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thine. how C.T. Stunned was right when he said, if he's not Lord of all, 
He is not Lord at all. And if he's not Lord at all, then he's not set apart or sanctified in your heart. He's not declared in your heart and mind as the most supreme holy being before whom you live. And he's my dread and he's my fear. And that's what Peter means here. Count it a holy privilege to suffer. One final thing. Count it an honourable privilege to suffer for Christ. Notice what he says in verse 15. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready always to give an answer. In other words, our lips must be full and fluent to speak for Christ. Be ready to defend and explain the gospel of Christ. Here's the believer, physically and verbally abused, experiencing this form of suffering. And he's using that suffering as a platform to declare, to defend the gospel. And be ready... Always to give an answer to every man that asks you through a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Notice a couple of thoughts as we finish. A ready witness. See, Peter knew there was a time in his life when he was not ready. Because he followed afar off. He was in a backslidden state and condition. He didn't love the Lord as he ought. He wasn't as loyal to Christ as he ought. He wasn't living for Christ as he ought. Remember the day or the night he, he warmed his hands at the fire? And the little girl came and said, you're a Galilean. Your speech just betrayed you. You're, you're one of his disciples. And three times, remember, he denied he knew him. Even used oaths and cursings, bad language. See, he knew there was a time when he wasn't ready. Could I ask this morning, are you a ready witness? Because you're living in close communion and fellowship with the Lord. Close communion drives away the fear of man. And that's how you've overcome. You have sanctified the Lord God in your heart. And therefore you are a ready witness. How ready are we to witness in our family and among our friends for the honour of Christ? Even when we're suffering verbal and physical abuse. We're also to be a regular witness. Note the word always. That means in any season. In season and out of season. There's a story told about the late Pastor Willie Mullen, who one time was uh, walking down Windsor Avenue. I think there's still a Baptist church there, Windsor Avenue Baptist. Uh, and um, he, he met this man. And of course, you know what it would be like, a pastor meeting a, a fellow believer. And this man knew Willie Mullen well, had loved his preaching in the past. And he says, Pastor Mullen, I'm delighted to meet you. He says, do you know what? For years, he said, there's a man in my office. And I've been terrified of him. And I would never open my mouth to him to speak. He knows I'm a Christian. But, but he's that cross. He's as crooked as the hind leg of a donkey. You couldn't speak a word to him. He, he would chew you up and spit you out. He says, look, I'm burdened for this man to be saved. And he needs to be saved. He needs to be told. And he says, I want you to come now to my office. And I want you to speak to the man. And Willie Mullen looked at him. And this was his answer. And he told this in his sermon. He said, my friend. It's your duty and your responsibility to speak to the man. And he said, you've got to overcome your fear. And in any season, you've got to be a witness for Christ.
You see, there's a regular witness. Don't let the fear of men put you off. It brings a snare. Always be ready. Notice, it's a reasonable witness. He says, and be ready always to give an answer to every man. The word answer uh, comes from the, the, the Greek word from which we get the English word apologetics. Now, it's not talking about apologize. We're, we're not apologizing for being Christians. Apologetics is really a de- verbal defense of the gospel truth before a, 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 a judge. Paul could say, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. But he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That meant he, he gloried in the gospel. And if we glory in the gospel, we're certainly not going to apologize for it. We're going to verbally declare, this is what I believe, friend. This is what the Bible teaches. I said to the folks on Wednesday night, there's a billionaire in America, I haven't got his name yet, but I will. And he's taking a certain pastor to court and he's arguing before the judge. This pastor is psychologically abusing me because he is saying publicly from the pulpit that homosexuality is a sin. It's a vile sin according to the Bible. And I want you to stop him from being able to say that in law. Now, now that pastor is being a reasonable witness. He's verbally defending the faith. He's not apologizing for what the Bible teaches. And one final thing. Notice that he's a real witness. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. The hope that is in you. See, that's a reference to Christ. Uh, Paul could say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the word hope here is um, sure and certain. There's a pastor talking to an atheist one day. And the atheist told him, he said, Pastor, if I believe what you tell me that you believe, he says, what you believe would absorb my heart and my soul and my life, that I would live for nothing else to the propagating of that truth. Pastor, do you really believe that? And you see, Paul knew that the hope of the gospel was real. It's a certainty. It's a delight. And therefore, he could go out because he's a real hope, sure and certain in Christ. He could declare the gospel. He could give an answer. Persecution and opposition. I'll be a witness for Christ. Why is Christ so important to you? Why does he mean so much to you? Let me tell you why. See, see, that's his thought. And the thought is here of being honourable to Christ. Being true to your conviction. Are you a ready witness this morning? Because you've got this hope. Are you a regular witness? Are you a reasonable witness? Are you a real witness for Christ? In the midst of persecution, even though it hasn't come full-blown yet, Let's seek to be happy in Christ. Let's seek to be holy. Let our close communion with him drive away fear. Let the Lord be our fear. And let's seek to be honourable and be a faithful witness. May the Lord bless these few thoughts and these remarks to our heart this morning.